Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you believe you could live a pain-free, vital life? Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self-healer. Welcome to the Nature of Healing. Hello, healers. I'm Roseanne. Today, we delve into the history and energetics of herbalism with Mary Halstead. Mary holds degrees in medieval studies from the University of Notre Dame and University College Dublin. She is a certified clinical herbalist working in the Unani Tib or Greek energetic tradition and owner of the practice Raven and the Hawthorne Tree Herbalism. She is at present at work on a book which aims to present a true vision of herbalism in the classical and medieval ages of the world. Welcome to the Nature of Healing podcast, Mary. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, and I, I'm happy to introduce you to people because I know you from your involvement in the American Herbalist Guild branch here mm-hmm. in Madison, Wisconsin. You're president this year. And you vice bring, president. Vice president. Oh, <laughs> vice president. Okay, well. I think a president, but for, for the present, uh, I think vice president was as much as I could handle. Sounds great. Well, you're doing a fabulous job. And you've done a couple of talks for us and I've come to know you. You are one of the few who devotes her time and love to talking about the classical and medieval history of herbs. So what draws you to that specific time period? Well, I think um, really it was uh, that that was my fate. Um, And it would really to, to stop me from being a medievalist would have been like trying to keep a duck out of the water because I can't really remember a time in my life when medieval history wasn't sort of the framework by which I shaped everything that I did and thought and was. And um, my ambition was to be, you know, was an academic career. I wanted to be a professor and that, that wound up not working out. I didn't finish my PhD as so many people don't. Um, it's, 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 it's hard. So, uh, I did find, however, that no matter what else I did or tried to do, uh, it always wound up turning back into medieval history again, because that was my fate. So, um, now as an herbalist, I'm still doing medieval history and, uh, it's, 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 it's my great love. It's, 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 I think it's possible to make one of the central loves of one's life, a, a study, you know, it, a study doesn't have to be a, a dry thing. It doesn't have to be a, a loveless thing or a humorless thing. It can be a very passionate thing. And it, and it always has been for me. Well, you describe that the truth that we are all multifaceted and we should definitely work with our passions. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, who, who doesn't know much about that period, I'm grateful for you to be able to share that with us. Um, And you also talk about energetics in 
a lot of your talks and you combine the two. So for those of us who don't understand energetics that well, the, the non-herbalists out there, can you define energetics for, for us and also its relation to herbalism? Yeah, sure. So um, the word energetics, I'm not sure when precisely that word started being used in the context of herbalism, although it certainly does not date to, to, the, to the medieval or classical periods. They wouldn't have used that word back then. I think it was sort of a borrowed term because if you look it up in the dictionary, what you get is um, a definition like the properties of something in terms of energy or the branch of science dealing with the properties of energy, which doesn't convey a whole lot to my mind. Um, the way I think of energetics in herbalism is a way of knowing. And, and it really was, um, I mentioned the word framework a minute ago, but this was the framework that, uh, that the theory, that theory of healing was built around um, starting in, in the classical period. And, 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 and I can get to this in a minute, and I, and I think you were planning to, talk, to, to ask me about this, but this is a worldwide phenomenon, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something intrinsic to our understanding of plants and healing with plants specifically. But um, when we talk about energetics and herbalism, what we're talking about is, at the most basic level, the four qualities of heat, cold, moistness, and dryness. That's your starting point. Uh, all living things partake of these qualities. People do. Um, we, we all know people who either are always cold or never get cold. Um, people who the, the um, sort of the exposition of moistness and dryness in human beings is one that uh, maybe requires a little bit more explanation. I can get into that later if you want. But uh, it's, it's, it's something that, that humans partake of that plants partake of, and also, although this is, well, they are a living thing in the sense that bacteria are a living things, but illnesses or states of unhealth, as I prefer to say, also partake of these four qualities. So that's what we mean when we say energetics. Um, and it is, it is, as I said, a borrowed term. Uh, but it's it's as good as any because I I've never come across any other like really catch-all term that can sum that up. So it's just it's it's just sort of a jumping-off point there. So that's a great definition, and it kind of describes couples in a way. Um, you know, a lot of couples who come together will say, "Well, I'm hot in the morning, and he's cold mm -hmm. in the morning." Or mm -hmm. you know, is there a is there a rhyme or reason for that? Well, um, I would say, according to my philosophy, this is the way the world was made. Um, and it doesn't, you know, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't demand anybody to have a specific theology. You could say the way the world is, the nature of the world. That's, that's, that's how I think of things. It's not really science. It's not modern scientific language. But, um, you know, in, uh, in two, two, 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, you could lump together, you know, metaphysics and mathematics and astronomy all under under the name philosophy, the love of wisdom. And that's, that's still kind of how I think of things. So this is how the world was made. These, these qualities exist in the world. And that is 
it, it is impossible for us not to perceive them. That's why we find this to be true wherever we go in the world, um, certainly in all the traditional systems of healing in the world, but even if somebody is very much not conversant with the traditional system of healing, they simply cannot help but perceive this. It's as intrinsic as, as sight and hearing. You know, when you, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you taste cinnamon, you get a warming sensation. If you rub aloe vera on sunburn, you get a cooling and moistening sensation. Um, we can't, we, we, we cannot help but perceive these things. Yes. And I guess my question was more related to the attraction of two people coming together and, and they seem to be opposite in energetics for some reason. And that isn't something I was planning to ask you, but it's just interesting when we, when we can put a definition to that, the, the term energetics, or we can define. It is. Yeah. And honestly, I, I know, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I, I, I have experienced that. And I think that that basically, um, what we're all striving to do is if you, if you picture these things as the points of a compass, you know, with, um, you could say orient cold to the North, warm to the South, um, usually do dryness to the East and moistness to the West, wherever somebody is oriented on that compass to achieve a state of health, they always want to move toward the center the farther you move away from the center, like the farther out into the darkness and coldness of space, the more unhealthy you'll become. And we, yes, we, we, we seek, we, we seek something to center us in, in terms of, of food and herbs and environment, but also other human beings. So no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean because I myself have, have extremely dry energetics and I tend towards the cold and dry Whereas my husband is, is has very moist energetics and tends toward the warmth on that, so we are definitely coming from opposite ends of the compass, and we and we do draw together like a couple of you know, like the old, that magnet and steel song, which I which I which yeah. I love. I love sappy <laughs> seventh music. So yeah, well, that is an excellent answer. I I haven't heard a better answer to that before, and describes it perfectly. So thank you. Um. So if, there, if the different cultures all had ways to describe these energetics of plants, mm-hmm. do you think they all came from one origin or where did they come from? Where did this idea come from? Well, I, I wouldn't, I, I, I mean, it could be described as an idea if, if you qualified it as, as a true idea. But I would, I would say, again, that it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's the nature of the world and the way the world is. So it didn't, all it had to do was 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 come from the earth. I mean, as long as anybody was 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 an organic organism living on this planet, they would perceive it, and they and they couldn't they couldn't get away from that. So, I obviously uh, I would expect that you know the very earliest humans um, before we sort of spread out over the face of of the earth probably understood this just fine. Um, it was, it would have been many millennia before, you know, people sat down and codified it, but they would have, they would have understood it. Um, and so I, I, in a sense, that knowledge would have been carried along as, as people dispersed over the face of the earth. But, uh, even if, I mean, 
even if it's, well, this, is, this is this is such a ridiculous hypothetical situation, but even if humanity had like evolved separately on every continent of the world, I have no doubt that they would still have come up with these systems just because it would it would have been impossible for them not to have. Yes, I think because we're all connected to nature. <laughs> and yeah, of course, because we, we all live on this planet. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if you want to talk about your uh, your understanding of the Greek tradition or not, but to give kind of a flavor of what you've studied and how you interpret uh, that type of energy, how the Greeks define it. Well, I could, I mean, I could, I could give a, a rapid sketch. I'm not sure. Um, sure. I, I, I don't want to go into, into excruciating levels of detail here, but so we, as I said, I have no doubt this is something that people have always understood, but you can more or less, at, at least among um, cultures with a, you know, with a strong written tradition. And, and those are the ones that I'm familiar with, by the way, I should say my personal experience as a medievalist is in Western Europe and to some extent in the Middle East because those two cultures were closely linked in, in love and in war uh, for, for hundreds of years. And then I know just because um, in the medieval period, the Islamic civilization was, was, was so strong and so beautiful, they were... There, there was a tremendous amount of cross-pollination, you might say, that went on then between the Greek system in the West and, and the Ayurvedic system to the East. So I have a smattering of knowledge of that system, but for the most part, the, the Western system is what I know. So, and that, by the way, the words Unandi Teb that you mentioned before, that's just, um, that's just th those are Persian and Arabic words meaning Greek medicine. So I, I like those words because the the um i feel like that system of medicine reached a zenith or a pinnacle in medieval islamic civilization and it was the most beautiful thing when you read the when you read the writers of the period which by the way i do not read i do not read arabic i don't read farsi either i'm afraid so i have to read it in translation but it comes through in the translation and it's it's just gorgeous the exposition is just as clear as crystal it's so nice. So, um, what were those words? What was it describing again? I Unani and Tib. So that's U-N-A-N-I is the first word, and that's a Persian word um, meaning Greek. And then Tib, T-I-B, or sometimes spelled T-I-B-B, -B, is an Arabic word meaning medicine. So it's just okay. Greek medicine. Okay, great. Um, so anyway, the... Um, the system was codified in a time when the Greeks were codifying everything. They were, I, you know, you could, uh, they, they were absolutely obsessed with codification. And when they wanted to codify something, so this would have been the 6th century BCE or some 5th century BCE, Hippocrates, um, you know, was obviously uh, very important in this and the exact date oh man i used to, I, I do know this it was it was in the time period i'm talking about um, yeah he was around 400 and 450 or something yeah i would say yeah fifth century and then of course before him there was pythagoras in the sixth century and he was also extremely important in this process but this was 
at time that you might say everybody went crazy for codification, which is a good thing. But the codifications had to be universal. So they liked the idea, you know, and they would they would play around with, with theories of which was the original element, you know, was it air, was it water? And they, they liked the idea of elements. And they liked the idea of elements being represented in people. So this is where um, we wind up getting what human. And boy, is that a word with a bad reputation. <laughs> really, really bad. Because the very first thing everybody thinks of when you say humors is bloodletting. And they usually don't go any farther than that. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to say that the energetic qualities I was talking about before don't have any physical basis. I mean, I, I tend to take a lot on trust when I'm reading an ancient or medieval author that I respect. Um, just I, I don't necessarily assume that we know better now. I'm I'm willing to it's, I I'll I'll absolutely give them their day in court and more. In fact, I I consider myself as more like a well to use to use some older language more of a more of a supplicant. You know, like I'm here for you to give me your wisdom. I'm not going to try to correct you right off the bat. So. Where this theory went wrong, I, I just want to give this as sort of a disclaimer right away, um, because any any medical theory can go wrong, and we all know that still occurs today. Uh, they did make use of things. They did occasionally make use of things like bloodletting. They made use of purging and vomiting and things like that, and that was not a good way of trying to balance energetic qualities. Uh, because, in, you know, um, if someone is suffering from a state of unhealth, which is, say, for instance, very hot and very dry, it can be ameliorated by means of, of cooling and moistening herbs. You don't have to cut into a person in order, in order to correct that. But to get back to what I was saying before, if I, if I can... Um, the idea was that uh, we recognize these qualities in a person, that they are representative of elements. Um, and I'll just run through those really, really fast. Is that okay if I run through those yes, really, really please, fast? Yes, please, please. Okay. So if someone has an abundance of warm and moist qualities to them, that's represented by air as an element and by blood as a humor, if you'll, if you'll allow me to use the word humor with, with, all, its, with all its unfortunate baggage. Mm -hmm. And that type of a person would have been described as sanguine. If someone is cold, if someone has an abundance of cold and dry energetics, this would, be, would have been represented by earth and by the humor of black bile, and that person would have been described as melancholic. If someone has an abundance of hot and dry energetics, that would have been represented by fire and by yellow bile, and that person would have been described as choleric. And the fourth possibility is to have an abundance of cool and moist energetics. That would be represented by water um, and by and the energetic of phlegm, I mean the humor of phlegm, beg your pardon. And that person would have been described as phlegmatic. So psychotic? No, 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 phlegmatic. Phlegmatic. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Thank you. No, psychotic would be far too strong a word. As a matter of fact, I would think a phlegmatic person would be the very last person to to, to become psychotic. 
they tend to be your really steady, easygoing, calm people. Oh, thank so, goodness. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, 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 not psychotic. Um, so that was how the process of, of, of codification began to, to shake down in, in classical Greece. And people did work out a tremendous amount of detail about how you could identify people of these types and what that was likely to mean in terms of health or unhealth within them and how you could address that. And as I said, you know, full disclaimer, it's not that it didn't happen. Some physicians or healers would use very harsh methods, but that was not the norm. The norm was to use food and herbs and, uh, and, and things like baths too. I mean, this, uh, I feel like I spend an awful lot of my time when I'm writing or talking, trying to correct people's misperceptions about the middle ages. They actually really liked baths. There are whole tapestries depicting people taking baths in castles. Uh, anytime anybody could get a bath, they would take it. They didn't have running water and it was cold in Northern Europe. So there were various logistical difficulties, but they did love baths and baths would be prescribed, particularly for people who suffered from, from cold and from dryness. So um, that uh, is, is, a really, is a really brief rundown of, of how energetic medicine was, was codified. And, and then, as I said, it, it, it went on to exquisite levels of development. I mean, you see authors go into details you know, over dozens and dozens of pages over how, for instance, being a choleric person would affect your liver. So, um, so yeah, it, it could get pretty involved, but that's probably all I should try to say right now. Well, it's very clear and concise. Okay. So, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so taking that information and for people who are looking at herbs, and we can classify mm -hmm. herbs in the same way, as you say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Going into the winter season, can you give some examples of what herbs might benefit us in our energetics? Yeah, so um, obviously um, what you, almost everybody, well, almost everybody gets a little bit chilly in the winter. People who are on the, the cold end of things are going to need more warming herbs. And also, it's sort of like like the key the key to choosing an herb is to take into account the energetics of the person, the energetics of the the sickness or state of unhealth, and the energetics of the herb. And once you have all three of those together, then you can make a good decision. So obviously, somebody in the winter time could get something like a very hot, dry, inflamed, sore throat. And then they wouldn't want something warming. They'd want something cooling and moistening for that. But to speak specifically of warming winter herbs, a lot of my favorites and, and also favorites of, of medieval people were spices. Um, and that uh, spices do a lot of things in the body. They work on the digestive system strongly. They work on the circulatory system strongly. And most of them are all strongly antimicrobial. But uh, in terms of energetics, they are almost all warming and drying. So while they would have been used for, you know, other 
issues in, in, in warm parts of the world. In Northern Europe, they were certainly recognized very early on as having a tremendous warming potential. And, um, and people were absolutely, cr I mean, crazy about these things. Another probable misconception is that everybody's food was rotten in the Middle Ages. I, I, I'm sure that occasionally happened. I, there, there are some jokes about meat markets that I won't get into right now. And the meat you get at the meat market, but there was also plenty of non-rotten meat. It really didn't matter whether the food was rotten or not. They would put in spices by the barrel full if they, if they could. And some of them were worth more than gold because they had to be shipped all the way from, you know, uh, India or even further to the east than that. So it was it was beyond a luxury, but people would pay whatever they could. And one of the reasons why was the warmth. So a couple of huge favorites of mine are, are definitely ginger and cinnamon. Um, both of those have been greatly loved in the West for hundreds of years. and not just in the West, they've been loved everywhere, but they've been imported to the West for hundreds of years, and they've always been very much appreciated. Both of them are very warming. Um, both of them move, like they can move congestion, break up congestion in the lungs and sinuses. They both improve circulation. Um, they both are antimicrobial. Ginger, of course, is also good for nausea. And uh, they say, although once once we get into um, biochemical breakdown, I guess I'm I'm kind of I kind of lose the thread. But uh, cinnamon is supposedly also very good for cholesterol levels and blood sugar. So um, so those are a couple of great ones. One that is local to Western Europe, and so. Has, was, was, was able to be used by everybody is rosemary. And rosemary is one of the ones that had a great reputation as a gladdening herb in the wintertime. Um, it uh, is one of the herbs that is good for circulation to the head. Um, and, you know, it, it, it works on blood circulation to the head. It is good for memory for that reason. It also, it, it, clarifies, it clarifies the thoughts it's um it was used at weddings it was used at funerals it had it had some sacred components to it and i would say just just for general refreshment of the spirit but also it is warming and uh like most of the others it also has um some effect on the immune system it's 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 quite antimicrobial so those are three to start with um did you want to say anything about any of those Oh no, I uh, I'm using all of these too as uh, herbal tinctures. How would you mm -hmm. recommend using them? Well, I mean, ginger and cinnamon. You know, there are so many different ways that you can use those. Uh, ginger tea. I'm not. I I you know, fresh ginger is great. If somebody's sick and they want to break out the ginger tea bags. They say more power to them. That's fine. Uh, ginger is available in so many forms. I like, you know, grated ginger, powdered ginger. What can you not do with ginger? Um, it's great in broth, you know, with cinnamon. I like I like getting cinnamon bark chips because then if somebody is a coffee or tea drinker, they can throw some cinnamon bark chips into their coffee or tea and get the benefit of the cinnamon that way. But, of course, powdered cinnamon is great, too. Rosemary, I put on, that's my parrot, by the way. 
<laughs> if you hear any squawking in the background, he's always around. So, uh, Rosemary, I, I put in just about everything. Um, you know, you, you can tincture rosemary, and you can also make an herbal vinegar out of rosemary, which is lovely. You know, apple cider vinegar with rosemary, and, if, and you just, you know, let it sit for six weeks, and then you have rosemary vinegar. That's a really nice one. Throw the dried herb and everything, the fresh herb and everything. Um, I wouldn't really think of rosemary tea bags so much, but it, 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 could, be, it could be tinctured as well. Huh, that's really so, a great idea with the vinegar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have um, a couple of years ago, I, I made a big vat and I'm still using it of, of or vinegar with it had, oh, you know, all the regular, the usual suspects, rosemary and thyme and oregano, whole cloves of garlic. And then once I had strained that out, and then, by the way, you can eat the garlic once you, once you do that. Um, it makes an absolutely delicious vinegar. And, and in, if you want to pull minerals out of an herb, vinegar is probably the best choice for that to make it like a, well, I guess a vinegar tincture, you call it. Is, uh, because you know what vinegar does to metal. Anybody who's seen vinegar eat through the, the metal jar on a mason, metal lid on a mason jar knows that it, 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 it goes, after, um, goes after minerals. So it does the same thing to desirable minerals and plants. Great um, information. Yeah, my dad from India, he, when we got sick as kids, he would create witch's brew for us. And it was a concoction mm -hmm. of tea made of ginger, cumin, mm -hmm. and pepper. Oh, and, that sounds, oh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, and we would put uh, you know, honey and sugar and to sweeten it. it yeah. Was, it was so good. That and it, sounds it cut the nausea like that. I mean, it was uh, uh -huh. it was for any cold, flu, stomach ailment. Yeah, that was to 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 put pepper in in something like that was was also was also a common device in in the medieval period, and and I think that's kind of fallen out of favor. But pepper and honey are nice together. You can you, you can definitely uh, use pepper for those things, and that was. That was another very, very popular spice and, and healing spice hundreds of years ago. Yeah, and people put um, pepper and turmeric together now. Sure. Oh, yeah. Why? Hey, why not? I mean, that's the thing about spices is you really can't go wrong. True. You know, however, however much anybody's willing to take, and it is, it is possible to give yourself an upset stomach by, by overdoing the spice. And in fact, there, there were, I have seen anecdotes about um, very wealthy people, uh, you know, in early modern Europe, when, when the shipload of ginger would come in, they'd buy so much that they'd become gravely ill from eating so much of it. So yes, you can overdo anything. I, obviously, I would always tell people to like, judge their own reactions. But any level of spice that you're comfortable eating is going to be good, I think. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, Let's go down the list. Tell us some more about some of your other Okay. Favorites. So, um, along with rose, groundwort, and lemon balm kind of make the trifecta of gladdening winter herbs. Um, Sageward is, you know, it has, has got well known as, as an antidepressant. Obviously, it's not recommended for severe depression, and you have to use caution if you're on um, prescription antidepressants and trying to use St. John's Wort at the same time. I, I would always, 
I would always encourage people to find a qualified herbalist to help with that sort of thing and not, not try to go in on their own. You know, just because it's a plant doesn't mean it can't be poisonous, obviously. Right. Good point. So, um, but uh, yeah, as, as a tincture, it works, it works really well. Um, it, it also has antimicrobial uh, properties and it also works on the digestion as well. And then lemon balm um, is an interesting one because it is, you know, it, it is a mint family plant. So like most mints, it's not really very warming. And in fact, I think for that reason, I myself am not too keen on it because I prefer the strongly warming ones. But it is, it, it, it has that, it has that cachet as a gladdening winter herb. Um, and it is antiviral and it does help with digestion again. So, um, and the other caveat with lemon balm is that it, it can um, interfere with thyroid medication. So you have to you have to be careful with lemon balm if you're on thyroid medication. But um, let's see. So other I ones that are strongly warming. Well, you know, almost all the spices um, and the rest of the herbs. Thyme is another big favorite of mine. Garlic is very warming and very moistening so i personally have trouble getting enough garlic and that i try to do when i'm i try to get in my garlic when i'm alone because uh you know i don't want i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to plow through six cloves of garlic and then go out and talk to people but um if you have if you have the stomach for it garlic is is warming and moistening and antimicrobial and it's and it's a fabulous thing so Pickled garlic isn't as oh yeah yeah no that's true pickled pickled garlic is 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 less offensive <laughs> to, to to anyone to anyone whom you might be conversing with um, and I love pickled garlic for sure that that's that's a great one okay and 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 just you know and co- cooking garlic too I think mm-hmm. I think cooking garlic renders it slightly less effective as a, as a cardiovascular herbal medicine but it's still a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You you still you still get some garlic that way. So um, those are those those are most of the most strongly warming herbs. Um, just in terms of general winter health and immunity, there are others I could mention if you like. Sure, let's go for it. Okay, well, um, echinacea is another one that got very popular and very well known, but um, you hear almost as much negative press about echinacea as positives because, you know, a lot of people will say like, oh, X, X, Y, and Z studies show that echinacea does absolutely nothing. And somebody else says, well, but A, B, and C studies show that it did do something. So um, as usual, or not, well, I would say the, the, the classic pattern when, when a, um, say for instance, a sci- like a modern scientist who doesn't have a traditional training in herbalism sets out to do a study, they can have the best will in the world, but they may just fundamentally misunderstand something about the plant. And I, to, to the, my, my, my feeling according to, to, to current herbal, not, current like knowledge among herbalists or what herbalists are saying is that Echinacea dried is is not nearly as powerful as as fresh echinacea tincture. 
So I don't actually bother recommending echinacea tea to people because I feel like it's one of these herbs that loses a lot of its oomph once it's dried and you get a lot more out of it fresh. So I, I'm, I would much more strongly recommend fresh echinacea tincture than echinacea tea. But what, uh, what I can tell you is an herb that is, uh, I mean, undeniably powerful is osha which is you know, a, a, a plant that's native to, the, to North America, and it's a root, and, um, and you, have, you, you have it as a tincture. I mean, that's, that's how it's found. I think, obviously, as I said before, Western European herbalism is what I'm familiar with. I really have a neg- negligible knowledge of Native American medicine, and, and um, I'd be happy to learn more, but obviously they weren't tincturing in vodka, you know, 600 years ago in this continent. So I'm not quite sure how the, what, how the preparation worked then. But I can say from my own experience that uh, OSHA tincture, OSHA root tincture is an amazingly powerful herb. To it get, I mean, it's a tremendous kick on the immune system. And also if somebody has something like a sinus infection or acute respiratory infection, OSHA is one of the ones where you take it and you feel it working instantly. Um, Mm -hmm. Very, very powerful. So uh, others that, that aren't, aren't aren't such a strong kick, but that, that are really, really good. My favorite herb probably in all the world, in all of time across the board is elder. I, I love elder. This is one that goes far, far back in Western European use in folklore it um the berry has gotten popular as a syrup but the 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 flower of of the elder is what i actually prefer it's um it's 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 it makes a delicious tea slightly astringent but also sweet and floral it's strongly antiviral uh it's very very good very very good for fever this this is would be the first herb I would reach for if I thought somebody had the flu or anything like that, something, something, some sort of viral fever. Um, it's, it's very good for the immune system. It's very, very good for children. There's no age that can't drink elderflower tea um, because it has both bioflavonoids and volatile oils. It's cooling and warming at the same time. That's sort of a difficult concept for me to wrap my mind around because I think about energetics all the time. But I think of that as the magic of the elder. The plants that you might say like swing both ways are often are the same plants that have a reputation for magic wherever they come from, you know, whatever part of the world they come from. Some herbs, they would say, oh, you want to have extra respect for this one. Like respect them all, but really respect this one because it will mess you up if you don't respect so elder is one of those um there was there was a lot of folklore attached to the elder and that one is absolutely fantastic for winter illness wow could it also be that the the plants the spirit of the plant is working with your spirit and your body is basically using the plant as it needs to Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, that would, that would be, that would be another perfectly acceptable way of describing magic. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, another one that is, I think, fairly similar to 
elder in in its winter illness effects, but it also does a lot of other things, but maybe that's beside the point for today's yarrow. That one also has both uh, bioflavonoids and um, volatile oils, so it's also both both uh, cooling and warming. And it also is very, very good for fevers. Um, particularly, you might say, yarrow for an illness where there's where there's there's a disorder involving the blood because yarrow yarrow is is a is a blood herb um i don't know how to describe it it, it is antimicrobial it, it's it's very potent at stopping bleeding and also at encouraging healthy blood flow flow where blood flow is stuck so yarrow is great for that and, and i should say um yeah, I said elder makes a great tea. It can also be taken as a tincture, but I would recommend it as a tea. Yarrow is equally good as a tea and a tincture, I think. The tea is pretty astringent. It's a little bit bitter, but I drink it, and uh, my nine-year-old son drinks it, so um, so it's not that bad, uh, but it also makes a good tincture. And then another particular favorite of mine is hyssop, and this one... Um, has a lot of has a lot of significant cultural significance from from the classical Mediterranean world attached to it because it was an herb of purification. Um, if there had been you know uh, death or some associated trauma in a house, you bring hyssop to help with purification. But it's also um, for for sort of a sort of a mucusy illness. Uh, it's fantastic. It's it's an expectorant. Uh, it encourages a productive cough. You know, if you're trying to bring up mucus out of the lungs, hyssop is really, really great for that. And it and it's also warming. It's got sort of a sort of a very gentle spice flavor to it. So I really like hyssop for those kind of kind of sticky colds and things. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great, wonderful list to work off of for anybody you know who who's interested in learning more about herbs for the winter season. Did you want to talk about any more, or can I ask you about your book? Oh yeah, no, I please. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I'd be, I, I could, I could talk about more, but I think that those are my favorites. And if I was going to narrow it down to a really, really short list, I would, I think, I would say what you want to have in your house for winter illness and winter warmth would be ginger, rosemary, elder. And and hyssop, I think that 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 would be my extremely short list. Probably also OSHA, but um, the others are probably more accessible. Yeah. I so it, it can it can be a little it can be a little tricky to track down the OSHA. You have to you have to look for it. Right. Well, that's a great medicinal kit right there. Um, so I have seen some of your beautiful artwork. You're an artist as well as an herbalist. Um, I'm an extremely amateurish artist. <laughs> you you have beautiful work, and I don't know where it comes from. It's not of this time, I guess I could say. So can you tell us the name of or the working title of your book? The working title is um, A Vital Flame is Burning because... What I would really like this book to do more than anything else, and and I and it, it it's it's sort of it's sort of cathartic for me to write it because this is a, more or less a chance for me to say everything I always wanted to say on every topic that I care about and bundle it all together. It's not um, 
it's not straight up history. There's already a lot of great history by, you know, fully qualified historians. It's not all herbalism either, because, of course, there are already many, many wonderful works on herbalism. There are not very many people who are practicing herbalists and have historical training. But the book is going to be... It's, 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 it's a bit mystical. Um, it's not that I'm saying things about history that aren't true, but what I'm, what I'm aiming to do is present a vision. And, and I'm hoping that um, if somebody can, because what I always compare it to is it, when, when you look far back in history is looking through the wrong end of the telescope. So you see, you can see things clearly but they look very, very small and very far away. And when you move the telescope around, sometimes it can be tricky to put together those little tiny remote images that you see. So I, what I want to do is make a, make a mosaic that will present a meaningful, true vision. But it's also, it, it's, it's, it's sort of an idol, you know, um, and when I say I, I don't, I, I mean, um, the Greek word, um, meaning like a, uh, like a, like, like a, like a fanciful vision, not fanciful. No, I'm not explaining this very well. It's history, but it's more than history. It's, it's, it's low, it's loaded with feeling and it's loaded with love. And the, the underlying message of it is, sleeper awake because you have forgotten what the earth means what a connection to the earth means what the stars are saying what the plants are saying these are things that we knew until recently and that knowledge was replaced by other knowledge and it's been to a large extent it's been vilified and where it hasn't been vilified it's just plain been forgotten so so i want to say this this is the beauty and this is the truth of what's been forgotten and 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 remember it because in each of us a vital flame is burning well it sounds a lot like a book for this time of discontent and disconnection something that we're all hungry for you know if i could put it that way um yeah and when do you think i know you're working on it now and you're taking time with it uh, when do you feel like this will be finished? I am hoping it might be finished by the end of the current school year. That's my goal. Um, I have to figure out exactly what to do with it once it's finished, whether I um, self-publish or, you know, pursue um, traditional publication. I will certainly be doing, I, I'm, just just in order in order to be thoroughly consistent with my vision, I will be making bound versions, which I myself will sort of as close to an illuminated manuscript as I possibly can. I will I will have them printed, but I myself will bind them and sew them together and then they can be sold as art books. But um for somebody who, you know, wants a cheaper version or they just want to read it, they'll very likely, I would think more likely than not, there might be some form of, you know, electronic publication, but I'm still working that out. But if anybody is curious, they can always check into, currently I just have the Facebook page. I don't have a dedicated business website yet. That's, that's on the list of things to do too. But I post excerpts and updates and things like that. So I will certainly have full details 
available when it when it's uh, when it's ready to be read in its sum total. Wonderful. We'll we'll have you back when you're ready to do that, and maybe have you. Oh, that would be great. I would love yeah. to do that. Well, you know, your book be, because it's being bound in the in the old traditional way. I mean, it's very authentic. I mean, what you're putting into it, you're putting yourself into it all the way, you know, down to the binding. It should be sold mm-hmm. or auctioned off at Sotheby's, I think. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, yeah. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll have, the, I will have those available too. If anybody's interested in ordering one, I have a, I have a, 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 a shockingly neglected Etsy page with, with one, one sad little tea listing, but um, people can buy through there. So I'll probably, I'll probably list it there too. Good. Well, we'll get the word out any which way we can. Okay. <laughs> and in the meantime, how do people get in touch with you if they want to work with you as an herbalist? Um, I have, I respond, I respond pretty very, very quickly to Facebook messages. If you're on Facebook, I also have an email address, um, which I think can you can you have that um, like typed out, or should I say it? Sure, we'll put that in the show notes along with your website. Okay. What, is your, what is your website again? Well, it's just it's just it's Raven and the Hawthorne Tree, and that can you know be done as a Facebook search. But um, I, I hope to have an actual real website sometime okay. soon. Well, that's good. Yes, or email. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I I try I try to check the email frequently as well. Wonderful. Well, Mary, thank you so much for sharing with us your wisdom and the wisdom of the plants, your favorite plants. Thank you. This this has been a, this has been absolutely brilliant. I really appreciate it. Oh, I, we appreciate you. I appreciate you so much and all your knowledge and wisdom and we'll definitely have you back again. And until next time, healers, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath, at natureofhealing.org, where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.